0: Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/recommend today. What's going to happen tonight? What's
1: going to happen? We're going to whoop them. <laughs>
2: Welcome into the Diamond Vols podcast on GoVols247.com. I am Ben McKee, and we are back here on the podcast. Baseball is 22 days away, Tony Vitello days away. Feels like the perfect time to bring the baseball podcast back when it's Tony Vitello days away. And uh, joining me, just like we did at the end of last season, the second half of last season, is the one and only Wes Rucker. And the one and only Will Heflin, both both in the, their respective ways, the one and only. Uh, Will, we don't talk to you as often as we talk to Wes, so we'll ask you how you're doing first.
3: I'm doing well. It's Tony Vitello days away from baseball, which is exciting. Um, football is year-round. Basketball is buzzing right now, but having baseball on Rocky Top as well is pretty cool. So things are buzzing right now. Um, Drove by the stadium last week. Progress looks good. Can't wait to see how that looks um, with people and live action involved. Um, The only thing that's not cooperating right now is the weather. It does not feel like baseball outside, but hopefully it will uh, by mid-February, at at least better than what we've gotten in the past week. But anyways, hope everybody stayed uh, safe and dealt with the snow accordingly. Um, but it's good to talk to you boys, and I'm excited to dig into some baseball. Wesley, how are you, my friend?
1: I'm actually doing all right. I, I can see I'm looking out my. bank at the backyard right now. I can see all of it is green and not white. So that is, uh, for the first time in like a couple weeks, I guess that's been the case. So that that green is green or brown. Um, most uh, combination, but mostly mostly green, but also some brown in there. So I'm not gonna lie, but better than better than white. Um you know, for the first couple of days, that was kind of interesting and fun. And, you know, cause I think the, the, the snow was taller than my dog and we got a two-year-old. So, you know, everybody's all having a good time and running around. And then after a couple of days, it was like, Hey, it's still here. Hey, Hey, it's still here. Hey, look, Hey, it's still there. And so, yeah, it's, uh, not finally got a lot of, got a little warmer, got it washed away. Now we're, now we're, uh, back to hopefully some kind of normal.
2: Yep, and uh, I'm happy to be back here on on the baseball podcast talking baseball, and uh, this is a day later than Wes and I intended to because Tony Vitello spoke to the media on Thursday morning, Uh, so I know I told a couple of people on social media that were asking. I had a lot of people asking me when the baseball pods were coming back, which was cool to see, and uh, told a couple of people Wednesday and then got an email that Tony was speaking on Thursday morning. Blake Burke and A.J. Russell both spoke before Tony, Uh, So did not want to record a podcast on Wednesday and uh, not be able to discuss something that Tony says on Thursday. So decided to to hold off for a day. So uh, for those who were expecting on Wednesday, I apologize. But that is the reason why. And we were going to talk Zane Denton on Wednesday regardless. But I am glad um, that we waited until after Tony spoke because Tony was obviously asked about Zane Denton on Thursday morning and, and his situation uh, and I've kind of been surprised by the reaction on social media to, to Tony's comments and, and the message board, not in terms of people surprised by what Tony said, um, but apparently not a lot of people were aware that Zane Denton has not been around the team uh, this academic year. Uh, so for those who are just catching up and, and getting into baseball and football is year-round, like Will said, so I understand that people are kind of just now getting in tune uh, with baseball but uh, Zane after going undrafted did not sign in with the team he announced in early August that he was going to return for a second season with Tennessee uh, that was early August I believe August 5th to be exact uh, but did not end up practicing with the team during the fall uh, at the time Tony Vitello said publicly that Zane was dealing with some things did not go into specifics Uh, But said that he was dealing with some things at the time. So Zane was away from the team for fall practice. First official practice for the spring and the season is tomorrow, three weeks away from first pitch. So with Tony speaking to the media on Thursday morning, he was obviously asked again about the status uh, of Zane Denton. And he kind of gave a lengthy answer. So bear with me for just a moment. Uh, Tony's complete answer was I don't really have any expectations because I don't have complete answers the one thing, I don't know if it's possible to tie bow on any topic like shortstop or Zayn, but there's nothing crazy going on. And I don't think you all will be provided an aha moment like this is a straight conclusion. It's not that easy. There's a lot of factors to it. I just visited with him recently. We hang out. He's in a good place. We're in a good place just trying to figure out what he's going to do with his future And really, you can't take away from that moment in time he had against Clemson, but really just his whole time here and his college career to this point. He's going to add on to that story that you can't erase. It's just a matter of how he's going to add on to it. And he came here last year with a plan of getting to Omaha, which he did and was a major factor. And the other part of that plan was getting his opportunity in pro baseball. And for whatever reason, it just didn't work out. And when your plans get derailed a little bit, you sit back and you assess how do you want to move forward, which, again, he's doing in the classroom and as a person. And certainly, like I said, we hang out and talk, so we'll figure that out what's best. But that'll come when the time is right. Like I said, it's not as easy as just going this way or going that way. There's other factors like classes and things involved. So, uh, Will, a, a very complicated situation. Those were the bare facts, Um why did he not practice in the fall? I, I think you can read into Tony's comments about when he talks about Zane's plans getting derailed a little bit. He was expecting to move on to the major leagues. And, and I think Zane was trying to figure out how to adjust to that disappointment, I, I guess, is the easiest way to put it. And uh, now you, you you fast forward to the season and, and it becomes complicated because no hard feelings towards Zane not being with the team, Will, but at the end of the day, Zane wasn't with the team during the fall while guys like Billy Amick, Dean Curley, the freshman, Ariel Antigua, Alex Perry, a lot of newcomers and, and guys returning, they were with the team day in, day out grinding. Zane wasn't with the team. So it, it it's a weird scenario of how does he fit in after being away from the team for so long.
3: Yeah, it, it kind of just sounds like a, a tough situation. I mean, just from my point of view, and I don't know any more details than than you guys do. I don't know, Zane. Um, but you just look at it, and it's like, okay, he was a starter last year, uh, a heavy contributor to an Omaha run, and he didn't go pro, so we assume that he'll be in the mix this year. And The unfortunate reality is it's just not that simple. Um you know and i was around some uh, some other guys who went through some things and all for different reasons it's just like there's there's more to people than than being an athlete um and there's obviously something holding him back or or that he's going through but you know it's it's kind of tough to to just jump back in if you haven't practiced or or taken live at bats in over what 6 7 months now um so for me just wish wish Zane the best and whatever happens happens. But, um, yeah, that's, that's really all there is to it. And I think Vitello is just trying to protect him, um, which he should, but that's, (laughs) there's, there's not really much else to say other than you wish the best for the kid and you're, you're just kind of confused on what's, what's going on there.
1: Yeah. I I think it, it's something that a lot of us in some ways, without even knowing the specifics of what's going on with him and why, I think just about all of us who have played the game at any level understand what happens when kind of reality comes crashing at you a little bit that you might not be able to get as far in this game as you thought you could. And I think that is – there's I mean, for some of us, like – I mean, for me, it happened when – It was like, do you want to go to some JUCO maybe, or do you want to go to like a small, 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 small D1, tiny D1 as a walk-on who's probably helping a GPA, or do you want to go on with your life? And I chose to just kind of go on with my life. And a lot of people, it it happens when you uh, are in high school or it happens when you get to college. They're just, you realize, wait a minute, I might not be a major league baseball player. And I think with Zane Denton, he is a very, very good college baseball player. But when you talk about projectable tools, I think we have to be honest here and say what tools of his project maybe to the next level. And I think you, you saw at least what scouts think of that right now um, by, because he ended up not getting drafted, you know, for, for all we know, didn't get much of a sniff. And so I think that kind of causes somebody to sit back and say, what's going on now? What am I doing with my life? What, what's the next step? and that's an understandable thing if you if, if you if you run into trouble with that that to me is completely relatable completely understandable and we don't even have to know the spe- specifics of a situation to know that that's a thing and so people go through what they go through will said it really well you're not just who you are as an athlete or a baseball player or basketball or football player or volleyball player, there's more to you than that. And we don't know the specifics, but I think in generalities we know that this is a guy who expected to be playing professional baseball right now when he's not and that that he's dealing with some stuff. So I think, you know, flush it out, see where things are, and then if it doesn't happen this year, maybe there's a future still. There,
2: There is a future. Everything is on the table. Tony talked about that. Uh, Today, uh, I posted on our board, the checkerboard, about a week ago. I don't envision, this is my personal opinion, from what I've gathered, I don't believe that, I don't see Zane having a a major role on this team, quite frankly, at this point. I I would be surprised if we reach conference play and Zane ends up having a role. I'm not ruling it out. I'm just saying I would be surprised if that does end up being the case. Um, Just there, there's so many moving parts. Again, he was away for the team. And and look, Zane Denton is a really good college baseball player. You want yes. Zane Denton in your lineup. But on the other hand, that's true. But what also is true is Tennessee went out and got a guy in Billy Amick who was an All-American at Clemson last year. A, he's talented. B, he was working at third, third base every day in the fall when Zane wasn't around. On top of other guys as well, Alex Perry, who was one of the top JUCO guys at Pearl River there in Mississippi, Ariel and Teagle and Dean Curley, who were top 150-ish players coming out of high school and, and were impressive in the fall. You had multiple guys working over there. Dalton Bargo, who came in from Missouri, he he can play third base as well. You have a lot of guys who are working in the fall who are capable of getting the job done, especially Billy, obviously being the, the headliner of that group. where you don't need zane you want zane Zane, again no hard feelings towards zane and and the situation in the fall but at at the end of the day you were still away from the team while everybody else was working uh so i'm not even sure if he was in classes and, and all all of that so i don't know where the academic side falls into place as well uh so i i'm not ruling it out but i would be surprised if we get into the season at some point and Zane ends up having a consistent role in the lineup just because of how much time he has missed. And uh, I, I, do, I, I don't I do think that that means that his career at Tennessee is over. There is a scenario in which he redshirts this year, quite frankly. And, and they would have to get a waiver at that point. And we're a ways away from, from going down that road. And, and we'll talk about that road at, at some point. But his his Tennessee career isn't over just quite yet because he doesn't have a, a role on on this year's team, uh, as Tony alluded to. They're they're still having conversations, dialogue, and and just because he has missed so much time, trying to figure out what's the best way to proceed going forward.
1: Yeah, Will could probably speak to this better than I could, but I can tell you in terms of, you know, been doing this for a little bit, been around some some guys, been around some teams in different sports, and. You know, at the end of the day, guys want to win. And so normally, if you are a guy who helps the team win, some things will be accepted more than they would for other people. That's just sort of the nature of it. And that's okay. You know, not you you want to be fair to everybody, but you don't have to treat everybody the same. I mean, that's just, I hate to say it that way, but that's the way the world works. However, when you've been away for such an extended period of time, you know, at some point, if you just sort of airdrop that, person back in and that person plays quite a bit that's where things can go wrong I mean if that if you put plug that guy in and he's hitting 500 or 450 or something yeah okay but you know if he struggles a little bit or you know you're gonna have some you know Amick came here to play obviously and he's gonna play you got some younger guys who are talented Um, you kind of got a you got a culture there that you got what 35 or 40 dogs fighting for you know nine spots so you're gonna have some things but, you know, you'd rather have it be in a perfect world stuff with guys who have been there the whole time.
3: Yep, spot on. Okay, go.
2: yep. And you feel good about Billy being over there at third. If you didn't have Billy, then at the end of the day, Zane led the team in RBIs, was really productive, oh, yeah. especially the second half of the season. Again, he's a really good college baseball player, and ideally you'd want him in your lineup. And he would have a role with the team moving forward if if he had been – around but he he just wasn't for whatever reason and and that's okay so now they're just trying to figure out the the best path forward uh, as Tony alluded to Um, speaking of of paths forward Will uh, the greatest baseball player in the history of Tennessee baseball not named Will Heflin got into the Hall of Fame on what was that Tuesday evening on on Tuesday night Todd Helton uh, a local legend from uh, Fountain City Central high school product, uh, came to Tennessee, obviously, and, and started some football games at, at quarterback and went on to have a, a decorated baseball career at, at the college level and, and obviously a, a decorated pro career. Uh, a really cool moment, I I thought, for, for the city of Knoxville and and also the University of Tennessee when Todd Helton finally received the call that he deserved on Tuesday.
3: Yep, and he did it in, a, in an organization that, hasn't always been great um but won a world series with them hit 316 something like that for his career um which has got to be up there on the all-time ranks i know he's you know top 50 in on-base percentage doubles um extra base hits I think he was just under 400 career homers um so just a, just a pure hitter for a really long time and um clearly deserves to be in the hall of fame and still lives in Knoxville. He's a big golfer and I got to be around him a small bit. He would come and go, um, every now and then early on in my Tennessee career. And you could just tell like that guy is so smart when it comes to uh baseball acumen and, um, you know, obviously a physical freak too. So just a, a, a cool nugget for, for the city and the university, um that number three jersey is retired and for good reason but super happy for him and, and his family to get into the hall he uh he definitely earned that one both in um you know performing at a high level and longevity
2: and Wes, it's absolutely crazy that he is just the second SCC player ever to, to reach the the hall of fame it would be three if uh mr palmero uh, went about his business in a clean fashion during his career, but he joins Frank Thomas, uh, who played at Auburn, and I do think we'll see that number grow pretty significantly o- over the next couple of decades with, with how SEC baseball has really exploded, but uh, I-, I think that's my favorite stat, maybe not of-, of Todd specifically because he has so many, like Will was alluding to, but absolutely blew my mind when uh Sean Barrows passed along last year when when Todd barely missed out on getting in uh, that he he would would have become at that time and did end up becoming just the second SEC player ever to reach the baseball hall of fame.
1: Yeah, I mean just, just an uh, an unbelievable overall athlete, I think. I mean, there there's some things like I don't know why we do this, but sometimes the baseball players like we forget how freakishly athletic some of the very best are. Like, you know, guys like, you know, even guys like Tom Glavine, who people thought of as like some some accountant with a left-handed arm, It was like a really good hockey player growing up and like a really good athlete. And, and Todd Helton, I mean, to go out there at the SEC level and to be the best hitter in the league, probably the best player in the league, one of the best defensive first basemen in the league, and then go in there and close games on the mound – And that's just stupid. It's just stupid to be, he had the records that he had, home runs, you know, saves. I mean, it's to to be SEC level good, let alone major league good at, at like one of those things is incredible. And then he, he was both of them. And on top of that, was also a quarterback who could have continued his Tennessee career, could have been a valuable player for Tennessee out there in the football field. God knows what happens if he doesn't get hurt early on in that 94 season, just an unbelievable athlete. And some of us have got to be around that guy, you know, growing up. He's a little older than me, obviously, but he grew up not, just basically down the block for me and I used to go shag fly balls for him in the on the weekend as a kid you know because he, he would um, basically it was stand to go stand behind the right field walls what it was and go collect the baseballs there, there was no like uh, there, there was no <laughs> unless he was trying to hit the other way it was going over the right field wall basically but because uh, he got to use those drop five bats back then with like the the barrels the circumference of the sun you know the before they changed down to minus threes and smaller barrels like those old eastern black magics and whatnot and uh, it it was was he he is an unbelievable athlete an unbelievable competitor uh, a guy who is also just a good guy (laughs) on top of everything else treats people the right way still says ma'am and sir uh, very close with like the you know the colorado like clubhouse attendants and people like that just around the community just a just a good dude and a competitor someone who represents this city this university this state exceptionally well and long overdue his People talk about the 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 Colorado, you know the, the 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 adjustments you have to make for stats for there. I don't care. That guy was one of the best hitters in the game for 15 years. I, I just it it's um he may not have been a first ballot Hall of Famer and fair enough, but the point is he got in and I'm glad he did.
2: Absolutely, and and I selfishly really enjoyed him getting in because growing up, Derek Jeter and Todd Helton were my two favorite baseball players, and uh, growing up playing MLB the Show. I always made sure Todd Helton was on my team. I I would trade for him, and uh, his lefty swing, it, even in a video game, was
1: smooth. He and Will and, Clark, and Will something. Clark had one of those too, man. One of those one of those great swings.
2: Yeah, Todd Helton did some damage on the video games too, especially with me, uh, at, at the controller. I, I do want to ask before we hit a break: uh, Will some of your closest friends, Evan Russell, Luke Lipsius, Redmond Walsh? They uh, they're they're Redmond is in the same category, I believe. What he tied Todd's save record, never broke it. I thought, thought Redmond broke. Did he? Did he break it? I couldn't remember.
1: I, I know it. for sure up, he tied it. I'm trying to remember.
2: Yeah, he's right there with Todd Helton in, for the Sage record. And uh, Luke and Evan both surpassed uh, Todd Helton's home run record. Have Have there been any comments in in the group texts and and group messages uh, about uh, them being in and mentioned with, with Todd Hilton in some of those categories goofing off.
3: There's there's normally some jabs at, at Russell in the fantasy football group chat. Um he and Max Ferguson go back and forth pretty good. But now we we gave Redman a hard time um there for a minute and then he just kept doing it, and you just realize that this is Redmond and it's not that weird. So, but you know, Luke, Luke and, and Redmond and Russell, not taking anything away from him they had, they had an extra year to do it, you know, and, um, not that it, it, you know, makes it any less cool, but we, we gotta, we can't give them too much credit. You know, we can't, (laughs) can't lift them up too high, but, um, no, I think, I think that's a kind of, kind of a cool thing for them to look back on. Um, but we all know that Blake Burke is coming for it. So it it probably, (laughs) probably won't stand too long on the hitter side. Now, Redmond's Redman could Redman could sit on that one for a while, but we'll yes. see. It just it, roles get changed so much in, in college baseball, and you know, typically if you have a young guy who's a closer, he's probably going to move to a starter. Um, Redman just carved out a niche and was so good at it, and it was good for him. Just based on the style of pitcher he was, that we rolled with it, and he loved being in there in game. Um, but I just don't know if if that's something that will get you know broken anytime soon. It, it will eventually. We'll see.
2: Yeah, we'll we'll see. And also what helps Redmond maintain that record is, is that there there really aren't traditional closers in, in college baseball anymore, at least not like there they're used to be. Uh, I know Tony himself, we'll see if a, another coach comes in here and has a different philosophy, but uh, Tony really likes that one guy that can come in in the 7th or 8th and, and maybe shut the rest of the game down, which you yeah. can still earn saves that way. Depending you on
3: can, but on we the we hit too dang well as a program now. You don't <laughs> yeah. even get any save opportunities. You just get holds with six run leads. Like, kind of takes the fun out of it. You know, Redmond was he got a bunch of saves from he got wins and saves because he would come in and it was you know nut cutting time and yep. we'd have some comebacks or yeah we did. Redmond was on some teams that took years off of my life, yeah. um, <laughs> and you know. Baseball is that way, but the way the way we're recruiting, we we blow some teams out now, so there won't be as many save opportunities if if that train keeps on.
2: No, and uh, Luke and to your point, Luke and Evan need to enjoy the home run record while they can, because the two people are surpassing them this year: Blake Burke and Christian Moore. Uh, I, I looked it up yesterday. Blake Burke has thirty. Uh, Luke's record is forty. Evan has thirty-nine, uh, and Burke has. Thirty, so he's ten away from Luke, and uh, Simo is at twenty-seven. So, uh, Semo might get
3: there I, by SEC play,
2: right? And, and I'd be surprised if Semo doesn't hit thirteen home runs, which would tie Luke a, as well. So, I imagine when when the season is all said and done, Burke and and Semo will, will be one and two. So they'll be cl- they they'll, they'll, they'll be years. clinging
1: they'll be clinging on to Rushmore. They'll be clinging on to the to the tail end of Rushmore by the end of the year, probably.
2: That's right. That, that, that'll that be a fun thing to keep up with this baseball season. Uh, Blake and, and Simo play in the infield, and we're going to talk about Tennessee's infield next Wednesday when we record again uh, on this podcast. And on the other side of this break, we're going to talk about Tennessee's outfield and preview uh, a new look Tennessee outfield with some guys moving on, but still quite a bit of talent. So uh, we will do just that here in just a moment
0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state
2: law. Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. Welcome back into the Go Vols 24-7 Diamond Vols podcast. I'm Ben McKee, 22 days away from first pitch for Tennessee baseball, 20 Vitello days away, and we are getting back in the flow of recording some baseball podcasts. Our our first one back, joined by Will Heflin, former Tennessee pitcher, and the great Wes Rucker on this edition, uh, talking all things Tennessee baseball, about to review Tennessee's outfield. And uh, before we do that, would like to take a moment to encourage you to go like, rate, and review the podcast wherever you do get your podcasts. And if you know a Tennessee baseball fan out there who hasn't quite found the Diamond Vols podcast, please send us, their way we would greatly appreciate that Wes when when you think of the Tennessee outfield going into the season what is kind of the the first thing that that pops into your head because they do have to replace Christian Scott who who really settled in in right field last year and, and was great defensively came up with some clutch hits second half of the season and then Jared Dickey settled in in left field and and to me was tennessee's best hitter last year so you, you have to replace those two but there are several several talented guys who who are that should be ready to take over and and really play well this season
1: yeah i think upside probably is the word that comes to mind with, with me i mean maybe a, a bit of unknown but also a lot of upside like i just candidly i i remember i was uh at I think I was at Publix like a week or two ago, and I saw like half the outfield was there. And uh, there's some 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 size on those young fellas. Like these guys have gotten bigger. Um, they have obviously been eating the uh, the the lean protein in the in the in the Publix uh, there at the deli. They, they are um they 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 can mash some baseballs. There's they're good hitters. They have athleticism to be really good defenders. Uh, the, the, there is a lot of ability. There, and also some questions, right? I mean, I think we'll probably talk about this, but there's three or four guys who probably, probably are, you know, guys who are going to play more than others. It's a there's a chance anyway, so we'll we'll let that get settled out in the wash. But there are some options there, man, and I think that by the end of the year, Tennessee is going to have a very, very, very good outfield. I think there's a chance that these guys could be very good. There's a lot of upside on this bunch.
3: Well,
2: what stands out to to you uh, when you sit down and and you think of this outfield that, although it does lose Jared Dickey and Christian Scott, it does have Hunter Inslee uh, who was kind of steady Eddie last season. He he's coming back, and I assume he will be the starting center fielder on opening day.
3: Yeah, for me and Wes, this is something you talked about a lot last year. uh having a right handed bat um, mm-hmm. off yeah. the bench. I think I think one of the most interesting parts about the outfield and we'll see how it shakes out. The opening day lineup won't be the the three main guys, I can almost guarantee you. Um, and maybe it will, but there will be some some shuffles and plenty of opportunity given. Um, but for me, the point I'm trying to make is the balance that you can create in the lineup um, with the options you have, left-handed and right-handed sticks, um, all over the field. But But outfield is such a you have to hit to play outfield, um, especially in the in the corner and in the SEC. And you have to hit for pop, and we certainly have um you know, some options there. Do you guys want you guys want a hot take or you want me to keep it, you know? Hot take. want a We're, hot take? Let's, let's sizzle let's sizzle this the game.
1: Let's let's go let's buzz the tower.
3: Dylan Dryling will lead the vols in a major hitting category this year. It might it might be homers. It might be RBIs. It might be average. I don't know what it is. Would you consider a doubles? It, it a could major. Be doubles. The guy is category? a freak. and the swing he took against Vanderbilt last year. I know it was one swing in one game, but that stuff carries yeah. with you. He had the entire fall to build on some big moments as a freshman. I'm telling you, he's going to be one of your most valuable players um in the outfield and he's he's a left-handed stick reminds me of a little bit bigger drew gilbert he's not drew gilbert yet but he's quick twitch he's strong as an ox um if he can play some good defense that's my hot take is dylan dryling should be and could or could be we don't know if he should be uh, a middle of the order type guy and will will produce a lot for the balls
1: that 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 was one of the most ridiculous swings That, that that ball had no business getting out of the yard that was just unbelievable
3: no no, he had a nine iron.
2: I, I really like that take. I, I think Dryling is in for a, a big season. The thing with Dryling West and you you all disagree if if you do disagree with this, but I, I think they're starting outfield on opening day. My guess is that it's Dylan Dryling in left field, Hunter Ensley in center field, Cavar's tears in right field, assuming everybody's healthy and, and they just don't forget how to hit these next three weeks of practice going into the opener uh, because Reese Chapman, who we will talk about, he, he's, he's lurking. Um,
1: but he, he was, was Yeah. Reese was one of the kids I saw in, uh in, in the, in the, in the public's looking a lot bigger than he did last year. Yeah. <laughs> Candidly, he's, he, he, I he's mean, got he already
2: Tall and already built for a, a freshman coming in, but Q has gotten him looking real good. Mm-hmm. But uh, the thing with dryling isn't the bat, right? Like I expect, a big year from dryling at the plate. The question with him is, is going to be on the defensive side of things. And uh, I, I do think Tony was was pleased with with how he took a step forward in the fall defensively. I don't think he's going to be Christian Scott out there all of a sudden or, or go go win any gold gloves if, if those existed in college baseball. Um, but I do think dryling took a nice step in the right direction. He has the athleticism to do so, kind of like what Will was talking about. I think it's just an awareness that's continuing to develop, an IQ that's that's continuing to develop, and it just wasn't in the field either. It was also on the bases last year. He had a couple of mistakes mm-hmm. running around the bases that uh, that did not go over so well. So, so just elevating his IQ and continuing to learn, and you know, Tony really applauded him after the first fall exhibition against Virginia Tech in Greenville. Uh, for those who are not there, Drowling was in left field and there was a fly ball and foul terri- territory down the left field line and it got out of play. But for anybody who's been to Tuscaloosa Park, it's just solid brick wall down the left field line and the right field line. And Dylan Drylin, like a, a madman, like Drew Gilbert, went sliding, crashing in to the wall trying to make the catch. And uh, if – if, if you're trying to make that type of effort in the field defensively, then Tony's going to ride or die with you, even if there's there's a few mistakes here and there. So I do think he's getting better defensively. Tony really uh, liked that play. And the other thing that sticks out to me about dryling from last season, the, the only nitpick at the plate was maybe some struggles against lefties. But Tony also talked about this in the fall when asked about how dryling has improved against lefties. He felt, and he had some some analytics to to back this from some of the n- new people behind the scenes that that are now helping out with the program, that Dryling's in the fall did not struggle against lefties like he did as a freshman, and they kind of chalked up the quote unquote lefty struggles to him being a freshman and not having uh, consistent at bats and and being thrown into some pinch hit roles, but in the fall the what they were charting was saying that the the splits were were pretty even. So I wouldn't worry too much about him hitting against lefties. I think everything's going to be perfectly fine at the plate. The question with Dryling is, does he take the step in the field defensively and on the bases as a base runner? Yeah,
1: there's always something that pops up that you don't expect, right? And that could be a good thing. It could be a bad thing. It could be both. And what I mean by that is, you know, there were a lot of people in that program. And, Ben, you know more of them I do. Well, you certainly know more of them than I do. But there was a lot of genuine surprise that, that Kyle Booker struggled the way some that, that he did. Because in terms of pure ability, five tools that you have as a player, his tools, um, he really just should have been a very, very, very good player at Tennessee. And for whatever reason, he just got off to a cold start, didn't recover. So we can have a picture in our mind's eye about what we're going to see and who's going to be in what position. But it almost never works out exactly that way. Something happens. Somebody gets hurt. Somebody comes out of nowhere, a freshman or sophomore. Or some, maybe somebody comes in with a second-year burst and kind of takes the position by storm, and you can't take them off the lineup. I mean, look at you know Hunter Ensley. Basically, it was like, okay, um, other guys are struggling a little bit. You're like the only right-handed bat. So let's see how you do. And he got in there, and by God, he hadn't left. I mean, he's been good enough where they're like, oh, can't take him out now. And and so something's going to happen that surprises us. So I do think, yes, it makes sense on paper that it's Dryling, Ensley, Tears. And one of my hot takes would be that Tears will make at least one throw that is as impressive as Dryling's home run last year against Vanderbilt. Uh, Watching him uncork the ball from right field – he will make an absolutely stupid throw to either third base or home or second. He will get somebody out on a play where you have no business getting somebody out because his arm is ridiculous. Um, and so I think that's something that has happened along the way. But, you know, I, I something's going to happen that we don't expect. But, yes, on paper and thinking about things logically, it very much should be Dryling, Ensley and, and – um, in tears. tears and then you know we'll see what what happens with with Chapman because he's really really good and and so yeah, yeah.
2: and will my you, you talk about hot takes with with dryling that's how I feel about tears is I I, I feel kavar's tears is is going to be one of the breakout stars in the SEC this season he he had as good of a offseason as, as anybody in the program uh physically uh, he he just looks terrific. He's a square. And, uh, he's a
1: square. He's as wide as he is tall.
2: Chiseled as chiseled gets and just uh, a lot of power in that bat, as we know. Uh, he has a, uh, an electric arm from the outfield like Wes was just talking about. Uh, and, and he's developed into to a nice leader, uh, I believe, just watching fall scrimmages uh, when, when they were scrimmaging one another he was one of the most talkative guys out there and that was not Kavars tears when he first showed up to tennessee very quiet kid Uh, but he seems to be really coming out of his shell and uh, constantly talking from the outfield on deck just leading encouraging getting on the guys to to do something better which is the type of leadership you need Uh, tony talked uh, about how at the end of fall exit meetings how it was just night and day different in terms of the communication with Kavars in a positive way. And uh, he, he's a future pro ball player. And, uh, you know, dryling and tears have a lot to prove this season, obviously. Uh, but I, I think that they will prove their ability and their potential. I, I think those are two of the, the biggest breakout stars in the SEC uh, this season. And and if you add that to what the infield is going to be able to produce at the plate with Billy, and Simo and Burke, Peebles behind the plate and, and some other guys. I mean that you know what you're getting from those infielders at the plate. But if you if you can get what you know is possible from Tears and Dryling at the plate on top of that, the lineup from top to bottom. I mean, good luck if you're a pitcher.
3: Yeah, and I knew you I knew Tears was your guy, and I love him too. there's no but like I seriously think he may have more raw power than Burke. I mean when he first got onto campus, we were still lurking around after our, our um, Omaha run in that summer, and we were doing camps and uh, doing some light workouts with that incoming class, and that was beam and, and tears and those guys. And I remember Durk Hay coming um, – it was either to the golf course or my apartment one day, and they had taken some BP, and he was just like, this freshman, Kavaris, he was like, I have never seen somebody so easily just – blast baseballs into oblivion so it's been like that since he's got there but he's gotten better and better and and i agree with you in the sense that you and that's why it was a hot take because you've got burke you've got simo you've got amick you've got Peebles. you know some really uh much more just guys in the spotlight if you want to put it that way um but i could dryling in tears it's not a stretch to say they could they could flirt with combining for forty homers mm-hmm. this year. Um, I think fifteen to twenty, if they're everyday guys, is like not uh, far fetched at all to expect. Um, so I think people, you know, it may be surprising early on when they blink and each of them's got eight to ten. Um, but they'll take they'll take on the SEC and be a, a more of a household name this year for sure if they're in their every day.
2: Yeah, and and tears. Real quick, West Tears started, got off to a hot start last year in conference play. He was hitting over three hundred. He did. He's got to stay healthy. Yes, exactly where I was going. He he was not able to stay healthy. I believe he he dealt with a hamstring injury to start. Bleak. And a bleak. Yep. Hamstring. Yeah, and those aren't if you're a baseball player.
3: Bleak injury.
2: Yeah, especially if you're in any sport, but especially being a baseball player and running and swinging a bat, not ideal injuries to have. So. Uh, I would assume just – I mean, he was in fine shape last year, but now he's just in in extraordinary shape. I would be surprised if injuries slow him down this year. But good to know because that is the question. How how does he and Dryling hold up consistently in SEC play? You know they're going to hit off of Tennessee State and East Tennessee and UNC Asheville. You know they're going to kill in the non-conference schedule. But how do they stack up consistently in conference play and you did see tears there for a minute before he dealt with those injuries, Wes. He he got off to a nice start.
1: Yeah, he did. And it's a, as Will said, it's a really, and he was talking about how Pete was describing it, he's got a, it's really easy power. It's like the kind of power that anybody who's ever played this game, when you see somebody who has that kind of easy power, you're just impressed. And you also just a tiny little bit hate them because it shouldn't be that easy. And uh, you know an oblique injury that that you can come up the works really quickly with an oblique injury. But you know, uh, and will would know this too as someone who who you know pitched against a lot of these just tremendous athletes. When you have the ability to just flick the bat out there and ride the ball out of the yard, the entire field opens up for you in a way that's just really not fair in some ways because if you don't make a perfect pitch, then these guys can just – and even if you make a really, really good pitch, these guys can just take that, that, that aluminum and just ping the ball somewhere. And it, it's not right, but it goes a long way. And, and so that's the game. And if he really kind of uncorks one, like in, in an early count, you know, O strikes, one strike, and goes out there and does that – then he can still chop the thing down a little bit with two strikes and still get the ball out of the yard. Those guys are just not fun for anybody to to deal with. Uh, and, and so, yeah, I think if they make the – a book will get out on them the more bats they have and more people will figure out ways to kind of attack them, whether it's off speed, low and away, whether it's put the ball underneath their hands, whatever it is they're going to find analytically some way to attack these guys because there's going to be enough of a, of menu out there now to choose from, but they're very, very good. And, and as I said earlier, he, you know, tears is a, he's perfectly square as a, as a human. He, he is, you, you see him when he walks in there, you're like, um, so are you a, like, are you a baseball player? Or are you like a, like a safety. What are you exactly? He, looks like he should be a linebacker. Yeah. Like he's almost linebacker size now. If you were just a little bit, maybe a little bit taller, you know, Kevin Simon was. Like that a tall. fullback. Yeah. Yeah. You go a little, little fullback, actually. Yeah. And, and so, um, and, and you look at these guys, you know, the way they're built, like the lower half, they can just drive the ball out of the park all day. And and so, yeah, I think that's why I kept getting back to upside because there's so much upside there with them. And, you know, like you said, Ben, they're, they're going to, against non conference, they're, they're, they're if they do anything other than just blister non-conference, that's disappointing. But when they get to league play, I'm excited to see how these guys kind of handle that and that first weekend of the year, honestly.
2: Yeah, and, and I'm really excited to see how Reese Chapman, what he does yeah. the, the first couple of weeks of the season because he he honestly was the – he, Dylan Dryland, and uh, Alex Stanwich, those were the three outfielders – that came in last year together. Cavardas was the year before, and uh, Reese was the the one that everybody talked about the most out of those three out freshman outfielders. And uh, Stanwich was second. The, Chapman and Stanwich were kind of one A, one B. And then everybody talked about Dryling, which is it's funny to see how uh, things have have played out now. Uh, but Chapman, the point that I'm getting to is he has as much potential as Tears as dryling as anybody in that outfield. Yeah. And uh, I remember Tony talking when, uh, I guess it was that fall, not this past fall, but the prior fall, before his true freshman season, his first semester on campus, uh, Chapman was just lighting up the the radar gun uh, on his exit velo in the box and just peppering the scoreboard uh, inside of Lindsey Nelson Stadium. And uh, he, he got off to a slow start this past fall but really ended the fall on a high note, looked more comfortable spraying the ball. The ball flies off his bat when, when he connects with it. So, Will, if he – I wrote this in my outfield preview on Tuesday. He's my X factor to the room just because we assume Dryling starts in left and, and Tears starts in right. But uh, Chapman, again, he has the potential to truly kind of come out of nowhere. And uh, if if he does, I mean, that, that – even if a tears or dryling struggle, but then you get Chapman doing what Chapman's capable of still raises the bar for this baseball team.
3: Yeah. You normally need a group of four anyway, especially if you want to, if you want to mix and match a little bit and plenty of opportunity will be given. Um, like you said, we've got great competition that opening weekend. So you kind of find out, uh, you know, there's not, there's no ramp up. There's no, there's no uh, get, get comfortable and then go. It's, Texas Tech is Friday, right? Out of the gate. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we got Texas Tech, uh Baylor Sunday and who's mixed in Saturday. Houston uh,
2: Baylor Saturday, Oklahoma
3: Sunday. Oklahoma, yeah, yeah. Oh, you so you've got, you know, two two Big 12s and a now SEC. Um yeah. wo- week 1. So, we'll find out and and he'll mix it up. He's not going to he's not going to treat it like Omaha. He's going to he's going to want to win, but he's going to also try to find, you know, uh, tweak those dials to find his best combination uh, when it gets to about mid-March, early April.
2: Yeah, Wes, what do you expect from Hunter Inslee this season? Uh, do, do you think there's more in, in the tank that, that he can provide? Because he was really, really solid last year, really good, uh, but maybe doesn't possess the flashy power that Tears or, or Dryling has or the, the speed or, or whatever. Not, not a real flashy player, but a really good player. Ball player, do, do you feel like there's more in the tank there, or what's your expectations for Hunter Ensley this season?
1: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, obviously, I, I don't think it's a I don't think it's disrespectful to suggest that his upside just isn't quite what some of the other guys' upside is. I mean, that that's not a crime. He's he's very very good and and, and a good baseball player and and have a has a future doing something. And I but I I think if he's just steady Eddie, that is a okay. Um, because again, you look at the lineup again and. I hate to say he's a right-handed bat they still they got a lot of left-handed bats in that outfield he's a guy who gives you a change of pace Uh, I think he was better defensively last year than they expected in some ways I think he the way he was able to as he played a little bit he kind of commanded it and had a bit of a gamer aspect to him like they were a little bit you know he kind of rose his level a little bit when they were out there the kitchen, in games. Georgia
3: was the turning point. Yeah.
1: I mean, and just, he he started making reads off the bat, got comfortable. You know, it's like once he realized, wait a minute, this is my spot now, then he, you just saw a different level of player in there. And uh, I think if he just goes out there and provides offensively more or less what he did last season, he'd obviously like to do more, but if he's just what he was offensively last season and plays defensively, what he was last season, and he's a steady player there in the heart of that defense, that's that's fine man whether he's hitting second again in the lineup whether he's eighth wherever he is in the lineup I don't know what they're doing with that but just be yourself there's absolutely nothing wrong with what he is as a baseball player you know you, you you're not going to have nine first round draft picks out there in the field even LSU is not pulling that off you need some guys out there that are just solid steady good baseball players and he's one of those guys and I, I'm not saying he won't get drafted or anything. I mean, I think he's got some ability, and and if he if he goes up a notch, then he there's no question. But just if he is who he is and as competitive as he is and as steady as he is, he'll be just fine.
2: Yeah, he will. I, I want Hunter Insley in my lineup every day of mm-hmm. the week, and uh, n- nothing wrong with being steady, Eddie. I mean, he he along with C. Scott, he, he kind of quietly fierce,
1: kind of quietly fierce, a little bit. I think
2: he. He would see Scott last year help settle those outfield issues that that plagued them, and uh, that that was no coincidence. Hunter, or and what also wasn't a coincidence is is that Hunter was the starting center fielder on a team that that went to Omaha, and uh, hit the only homer. Right, w- was he the only one that hit a homer in Omaha, or one of two?
1: Um, he definitely he hit one he, for LSU. He definitely so. hit one that kind of gave that wasn't luck
2: or, or fluke or coincidence. Hunter ensley is a really really good baseball player and. Uh, Tennessee is better off with him in the lineup. So uh Hunter, I'm I'm expecting a big year from him as well, very similar to how he played last season. Th- those are the four main ones, four main outfielders that Tennessee's gonna have this year. Uh, Hunter and center, Kavars Tears, Dylan Dryling, Reese Chapman, uh, those three making up the the other two corner spots. And you could also see some some guys that maybe you're you're not expecting to get a little bit of time out there. Dalton Bargo, the Missouri transfer capable of playing the corner spots. Uh, Blake Burke and Christian Moore, I don't really expect to see them out there, but wouldn't it be the biggest surprise ever to see them get an inning or two or a game or two here or there in the outfield just because they, they did work on it in the fall to have more position versatility. Again, I'm not going into the season expecting to see them out there, but it, it wouldn't be the the biggest surprise. So so those four of Ensley Tears, Dryling, Chapman, are the main ones you, you do have Kobe Backus? Uh, he, he's going to be a depth piece for them. He had a really nice fall, really nice summer. We'll, we'll see if he can, when he gets opportunities in the non conference, see what he does with those. In terms of, of freshmen, there's four of them Holden Bronner, Jeremy Comer, Cole Eaton, Braden Sharp. Uh, I, I don't anticipate those guys getting much action. Uh the, the ones who could potentially do so, Cole Eaton and Braden Sharp, in my opinion. Sharp was one of their highest ranked signees that they signed from uh, the Woodlands, Texas. Uh played down there in a in a big time baseball mm-hmm. district in Houston and and was the MVP. And uh he he's a, a smaller guy, uh ninety-five from the left side still, and uh Sounds to me, I, I've been told that he he is the first guy that Tennessee has signed and brought in that truly has a chance to be Tennessee's first two-way guy. Gilbert did it a little, but Sharp has the potential to truly be the first one to do it more consistently. You mean like Will Eaton Heflin? Also, like
1: Will Hefflin did?
2: Yes, like Will Heflin as, as well. Um, Paul Eaton, also a two-way guy from, from Nebraska, uh, but he mostly worked. Uh, on the mound in the fall, got a couple of the bats and and he has some really, really big time tools, Uh, a six, five runner in the 60 yard dash. Uh, His throw from the outfield was, was clocked at one Oh one from center field. So they have some talent there, but I'm not expecting much from, from those freshmen uh, just because there's so many guys in front of them this particular season.
3: Yeah. With the portal and the, um, I think this is the last year of COVID year, maybe.
2: I believe Uh, so. I hope so. I'm tired Listen, of. Listen,
3: if you've you got a top ten team, you're you've got experience all over the roster and some older guys. You're trying to make a run. Um, it's it's tougher now than ever for young guys to to crack a lineup day one, unless you're just a freak. And it was always hard, um, and it kind of stinks from from a incoming high schoolers perspective. But it's just an older game right now. Is all I'm trying to say. And there will certainly be some freshmen contribute, but they will have to earn every single pitch that they see on a baseball field. And it's like that everywhere. It's no different um, at any of the other schools, certainly in the SEC where you've got other top top five, top 10, top 25 programs.
1: Yeah, for me, the the, the last thing I've got is that I think it's just it's hard to think, you know that that just, four or five outfielders are 100% going to be enough throughout the course of a year. Uh, things happen, right? You know, hamstrings pop, obliques strain, you know, guys run under the wall and hurt their hands or arms. I mean, things happen, right? You know, it's it's baseball. Things happen. Somebody could get hit and do that whole hammock bone thing. I mean, you know, it, things happen. And so between that and just what if somebody else, what if a spare, you know, infielder just all of a sudden – just all of a sudden, just dominates, right? Or, or what if what if he's so good you can't take him off the field? Is what I'm thinking, Ben. It's like how what do you do if if like let's say Bargo is just there? He can't he can't play first because he can't get over Burke. He can't get the third over Amick. Peebles is locking down catcher most of the time. He can't get many many games there in um, the DH role. He he has a hard time getting that every day. But he's but he's so hitting so well. You got to put him somewhere. Well, then maybe he takes a corner outfield spot. I mean, Seth Stevenson, we saw that a couple of years ago. He moved there at the at the end and ended up becoming their their everyday guy and is is still playing, you know, and doing well, stealing a bunch of bases at the, at the pro level. So something always happens, right? The best laid plans of mice and men like things always change. And so I think there's gonna be a name that we don't mention a lot on this podcast. We've probably mentioned him, but not a lot. One of those guys is gonna play more than we think he is. And that's why this is fun, right? I mean, because you don't just – this isn't just fantasy baseball, right? Like, you got things happen. And so I want to see sort of who else steps up, right? Does someone like Bacchus surprise us? Does someone like – you know, I mean, I don't think so, but, you know, I don't know, right? Does Bargo go out there and play some in the outfield, right? Does, does, does Christian Moore start the season struggling defensively at shortstop? And then – but they're like, he's got to play, so – He's in left field, and then Dryling goes to DH or right field. You know, think a billion different scenarios are out there, and I just think that maybe it'll end up being as simple as we think it is, but it hardly ever works out that way.
2: No, you're absolutely right. Um, now I, I I'll tell you right, Don Bargo is going to play a ton. It's yeah, just a but I, of I'm just, I'm
1: just saying where? Yeah, where? Like does does he end up getting stuck in the corner outfield or somewhere because he's got to play and you can't move an infielder or catcher?
2: Yeah, I I don't think he's going to get. Stuck, per se, anywhere, I think he's going to bounce around uh, a ton and, and be the ultra-utility man. Yeah. I think you're going to see him behind the plate some. I think you're going to see him at first base, third base, left field, right field, DH. I, I think he's going to he's gonna play a lot. I, that's not a name that the casual Tennessee baseball fan I, I think knows a ton about, if at all. Uh, but Tony Vitello loves him some Dalton Bargo, and the gritty, the determination, uh, doesn't really care where he plays. Or really, if he's playing, Love that. He, he just Love wants that. to help his team win. And, and Tony Vitello loves that. So, uh, And he's a really good bat. I mean, he was a true freshman last year at Missouri and hit two sixty, two seventy, and took Chase Burns deep. So there's a lot of potential in that bat and uh, really hit well to to end the fall. So I, I'm telling when I say you, not you, Wes, but the listener, Don Barber is going to play a ton. Uh, at least he's going to get his opportunity to play a ton early in the season, and uh, it'll be up to him to make the most of that. Um, and Christian Moore, I think he's going to be starting second baseman to, to start the season. Uh, Ariel Antigua, yeah, the freshman from Florida, who we will talk about on the podcast next week, uh, he is dealing with a little bit of an arm injury as practice begins on Friday. Uh, but prior to this arm injury popping up, and, and I, I don't believe it's a major deal, but something that they're going to have to quickly take care of not, not in terms of surgery or anything, but just in maintenance, just regular maintenance, uh, a week ago sounded like it was Ariel Antigua's job to lose, even for a true freshman, at, at starting shortstop. And uh, that doesn't mean that he will end up being the opening day shortstop, but he, he probably had the best crack at it because he's just so naturally gifted and, and talented and uh, really impressive in the fall as a freshman. And if if he ends up being the starting shortstop, that's probably Tennessee at its best. If if you can stick Simo over there at second, Billy at third, and Burke at first, uh, that that probably helps Tennessee reach its ceiling. That's how talented of a freshman he is. But uh, I, I don't know how much this little arm thing that he's dealing with to, to start practice, how much that's going to slow him down. But something to pay attention to, and maybe that goes into the thing that you pop up that you're not waiting for or expecting and now simo's got to play shortstop somebody else has got to play second and so on down the line that's what makes it so fun
1: though right i mean what makes it's not that someone's injured that's not fun but i mean just in terms of you know we've been talking here for almost an hour and we're getting ready to jump out of here but i think will already had to jump out of here um but but it's it's to me what you just talked about there at shortstop that and the pitching situation, like, you know, who makes sure who that third starter is, who does what in the bullpen, who's midweek, what what happens. Th- those are the m- most pressing questions, I think, on the team. What we've talked about here. And in the catching. Out- and, and catching, yeah, because they've got a lot of options there, but who's going to do it, what's the rotation going to be, yada, yada. But, like, what we've talked about with the outfield, it may be the most stable situation of any of those situations, and it still has some interesting questions. But what we're getting into the next two weeks is, that's the real, real interesting stuff in terms of there's a lot of pieces there, a lot of movement. I, I think, and you and I have always said this, Ben, we'll talk about it next week, but you know, I, I don't think either of us has ever thought that that Christian Moore as the everyday shortstop is the best version of what Tennessee could be. Uh, I just don't know. It, may, it might turn out that way, but I personally do not believe that unless he makes a huge leap in terms of his defensive consistency and improves that range— I don't know that that's the best-case scenario for Tennessee if he's there. It could be fine, but you look at the teams that got to Omaha on a yearly basis and go look at those teams. Go look who was playing shortstop for those teams. Go look at what those guys were doing. They were almost all of them, to a T, elite defensive shortstops, uh, and that's just sort of what you need. So um, I-, I think that is an interesting thing to, to follow is who's going to end up being that because it is – it's super, super important, and it's a question. And even a top ten team like Tennessee, a national title contender, an Omaha contender, can have those questions, and that that's okay. Um, but you know, you got a few weeks to to get things in position for opening day, and then figure it out from there.
2: Absolutely, and we will detail those conversations over the coming weeks. Uh, I said on a recent podcast that we did, I believe it was on Monday or Tuesday. Uh, the plan is to to do a baseball pod every Wednesday. And uh, there will be some weeks where we do more than one podcast. Opening week, we will do more than one podcast. But uh, it, it, for the most part, will be one a week on Wednesday up until uh, conference play begins. And uh, then, then we will adjust uh, our schedule from there. And uh, you'll have to hang with us during that time as well because uh, Don't Connect may keep us busy uh, a little longer than we've been busy in the past. Mm-hmm. And uh, my wife is due to have our second child on the Friday of the second weekend of conference good play. timing so,
1: there good timing there bud
2: yeah great timing on that one. First Friday of the first weekend of the NCAA tournament and uh the second Friday of SEC play for baseball so great timing for me so that, that's going to be a hectic time for us so uh we're going to do our best to, to continue to do what we do each week but may have to adjust on the fly there uh for for a couple of weeks so uh regardless we will have plenty of Tennessee baseball coverage, as we have established uh, since I came over to go mm-hmm. balls 24-7, quite frankly. That was evident in the fall, uh, been evident in the winter months leading up to the season, and that will continue to be evident. So happy to be back talking baseball along with all the other stuff going on on campus. Uh, football doing well. Basketball doing great. Lady Vols had a big win on Sunday. Everything's Tennessee cool. Softball, Everything's picked cool. picked to win the SEC. Preseason number two. Everything's going well. Uh, so we're excited to, to detail it all at govals 247com Will did have to drop off because he had a meeting that he needed to get to, but we do appreciate Will Heflin jumping back on and excited to have him back with us here on the Diamond Balls podcast. And Wes, certainly appreciate your time as well.
1: Anytime, man. You know that. I'm ha- looking forward to it, man. It's it's awesome. It, it's crazy to think that baseball season is a few weeks away with everything else going on, but you know what, dude, bring it on. Let's go
2: absolutely he's Wes Rucker and for Will Heflin I'm Ben McKee this has been another edition of the Diamond Vols podcast on GoVols247.com
1: there's that button and now I can say thank you for listening to this edition of the Go 247 24-7 podcast we always say that but we always mean it Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. You can find all of us on social media. I'm Westrucker 24 7 on Twitter. Ben McKee is Ben McKee 14 on Twitter. Ryan Callahan is Ryan Callahan 24 7 on Twitter. And Patrick Brown is P Brown 24 7 ...for less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month. That is all that it costs, and that's after a quick free trial... And once you pay us that reasonable rate, which is, again, less than one mediocre lunch per month, you get access in perpetuity to Paramount Plus, uh, which is an excellent growing behemoth of a streaming arm there with us here at CBS, Paramount, Viacom, etc. You get every show CBS has ever made commercial free. You get new movies. You get classic movies that rotate in every single month. Uh, You also get just tons of original content, tons of great original Paramount Plus content. And you also uh, get access to the vaults of uh, Nickelodeon, uh, Smithsonian, uh, MTV, BET, Comedy Central, something for the entire family. All of that. All of that for less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month. That—that That is so much stuff. So much stuff. That's a bunch of stuff. Less than one m- lunch a month. That's all that it costs. So go to GoVols247.com.